0: You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. Good morning. It's great to see you. As Aaron said before, if you're visiting with us today, we're thrilled that you're here. Maybe you're new to the area, a return visitor today, or maybe like Jeff down here, you're a part of the family that's just come back from the Riverland for the weekend. Jeff and Yvonne just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary this week. And uh, so he made her breakfast in bed and said, I'm going to church, love, so... And, uh, but no, they're just uh, down for the weekend, so it's good to see you, mate. Great to see all of you. Thanks, Leanne, thanks, thanks. <laughs> fishing, fishing, fishing. All right, well, I can believe it's February because, um, for me, January is actually uh, a fairly busy time. We went away for 10 days in Hobart over Christmas, got back early January, uh, but January really is a significant time of preparation Uh, For the new year, as I kind of mentioned last week, uh, for many of us, the new year doesn't really begin until, you know, first week of Feb, kids are back at school, everyone's back at work, routine really kicks in. And so January is really a, a good time of planning and preparation, get things set up for a successful year. How many of you remember our, the last preaching series we did in summer leading up to Christmas was called Set for Success? Talking about how God sets us up to succeed in life and that's what parents do for their families. They set up the family as best as they can to succeed. And so January is a good part of that, being meeting one-on-one with some key ministry area leaders. We're having a lunch at our place today with a group of them uh, opening uh, discussions about opening some new ministry areas. Some of you know last Friday night, two nights ago, Mark and Erin started our youth group. Uh, Friday night youth group started up. We are just uh, maybe a week or so away from uh, launching a brand new website. If you looked at our website lately and thought it's not only a bit dated, it's also a bit behind that's why we're working on the brand new one youtube channel setting us up for media for the year and uh, looking at new grow groups malcolm and his uh, family life team uh, established another grow group or two this year or connect group uh, which we're going to start calling grow groups from now on so a bunch of things have been happening in january which has all been quite exciting but all that planning really began with a time of prophetic prayer at the start of the year got together with our eldership team and we said, look, before we discuss, before we plan, before we administrate, we are not in charge of this church. There is one head of this church. We have a boss and we want to listen to hear what's on his agenda and what's his, on his heart for us this year. And so we had a time of worship and prayer and, and hearing God together. And uh, at, there was a point in time where I started scribbling down, well, let's just call them minutes, all right, for a meeting. And I took a photo of it, and I'm not sure whether it's actually worked, but Pete, do we have that photo of, uh, it's on the PowerPoint. It was quite big, you know, it's a photo, so it's five megs, so it wasn't really working all that well. No, taking too long, momentum? Okay, so I took a picture, um, I started scribbling some notes from our, minutes from our prayer time, and one of the, there was one key word that really stuck out to me in that prophetic time. And it's the word momentum. Momentum. And I want to share in and around that today. And as I remember it properly, it was God speaking to me. And I had this kind of distinct picture of the fruit trees in our backyard. Now, it's summer at the moment at our place. And our fruit trees, we've got, what do we got? Plums, peacherines, uh, two or three others. And they are absolutely going psycho. Uh, we are, are in a season or so in a time with our fruit trees where they are just um, the momentum from years and years of investment into them. Because these fruit trees are 20 to 30 years of age. My family has invested faithfully in that, those fruit trees in that soil, in stewardship, and in caretaking. And we've reached a season this summer where there has just been far and ab- a- abundant fruit, more than we can handle. In fact, we've even got branches that are breaking under the weight of the fruit on some of our trees. And I had this picture, and God spoke to me about um, somewhere, at some point in some areas of our church life this year, about really engaging with momentum and maximizing the power of momentum that's been built up over the years and to be careful that we don't say of ourselves we don't deserve this you see the effort and energy that I put into those fruit trees this year (laughs) was far less than what my father put in 20 years ago The effort and energy that I put into those fruit trees in this last 12 months was equivalent to that from last year. But this year, we got far more fruit. So we did less and we got more. And that's how investment works. Those of you who are into finance, that's a bit like the power of compound interest, isn't it? You set aside, you invest the same amount of money each year. I I invested the same amount that I did last year, the same amount that I did 10 years ago, but with the power of momentum being built over the years, I've actually got far more in return than what I did, even though I put the same effort in. So the power of momentum, one of the benefits of momentum, one of the, uh, the powers or the purposes or the privileges of momentum, is that with the same amount of work, you can actually get far more results when momentum is on your side. And so that's why with sporting teams with businesses with churches Rob just mentioned to me before when I mentioned this word earlier and he said uh, he remembers Danny Gugliamucci saying years ago in a pastor's gathering he said something like momentum is every pastor's best friend yeah. And there're many quotes like that on the interwebs you can look those up uh, in regards to business and in regards to sport we all know what it's like playing a, well, some of us know what it's like playing a team sport where man you are just in the sweet spot You've just hit the zone and everything that game just went well for you. Even those of you who work out with weights or whatever, there's certain times where it just doesn't work. And other days, man, you are just hitting everything. You've just got such momentum. You're in that sweet spot. And I've got a feeling that God wants us to enjoy some of the benefits of momentum this year while, of course, not taking it for granted. Because Maxwell, what's his name, the leadership guy? John, yep. John Maxwell says, good leaders maintain momentum, but excellent leaders assist momentum or propel momentum, add momentum, not just enjoy it, but add to momentum. So I want to speak in and around the subject of momentum this year. Easy for us to think, it's not fair, but that's the power and the privilege of investing into something that builds impetus over time. And we're going to see some of this in our chronological reading plan through the Scripture this year. I had to bring it back to that, didn't I? In the story of Israel, we see almost any phase of life that you and I can identify with. Israel, before it became a nation or a family, was an individual. His name was Jacob and God changed his name to Israel. And when we kind of, first, there's a point in Jacob's life, in Israel's life, where he has been kicked out of his family, or actually he's run away from his family. He's working for a guy that's ripping him off, and, and has lied to him, and he is in debt. He's working seven years for something that he didn't actually want. You can go, you, we'll get to that story in a few weeks' time. He's in a place where he's working and he is getting nothing for himself. In fact, he is, all he is doing is just paying off the debt that is really to him a dead debt. No offence to Leah, but uh, uh, it really is a debt. Yeah. Um, he is paying off the debt, and some of us know what that's like. Some of us can identify that. You've been in places in your life, and whether through your own poor decisions or through other people ripping you off, you're just in a place where everything you're doing is just paying off debt. Story in Egypt, by the time they get to Egypt, and they're now, you know, maybe uh, two million people, they are in slavery. There are people who, everything they are doing, seven, like, likely working seven days a week, and everything they are doing is going to benefit other people. They're building no inheritance for themselves, no land, no legacy. Everything they're just doing is just going to the man. Mundane, ordinary tasks. Some of us know what it's like to feel like you're in a season like that. They get into the desert and they're in a real interesting place after they pass through the Red Sea because they're only just scraping by with God meeting their needs every day, feeding them manna. But they're really asset rich because they've got heaps of gold and silver. But it's no good to them because there's no one to trade with. Okay, we've got a lot of Australians of pensioner age who know what that's like. You go to Sydney and you'll find uh, pensioners living, sitting on an asset worth two to three million dollars, their home, and yet they can barely afford to turn the lights on because they're just scraping by on the daily pension. See, scripture, you can relate to almost anything in scripture. You, you, you come on, uh, we get to the era of Joshua, and this is where momentum really starts to kick in. You read the story of Joshua, and everything they do, except the first city, they learn a lesson from, from a place called Ai, but after a while, they just start gathering momentum, and they start moving forward, and everything they do just seems to work and turn to gold, and they really start getting momentum flowing. Now, they're working for it, they're working hard, but momentum is starting to take place, and they're taking cities. They're now no longer slaves living in shabby shanty towns like District 9 You know, in Egypt, that's how I picture it. Um, um, they are now, they're now taking cities where God said, you're going to walk into homes you didn't even build. You're going to take over vineyards that you didn't work, but I'm going to give it to you. Now, got to, there's, there's work to be done, but you're going to just, they just enjoy this incredible momentum. You look a few hundred years later, and you get to the era of David and Solomon, and they're not fighting anymore. But nations are coming to them. And saying, we give you our wealth. We'll come under your rule. We'll come under your reign. Interesting. The momentum of their forward-moving progress had just got bigger, like a a ball rolling down a hill. That the bigger and bigger and bigger they got, the other people were just attracted to that and suddenly just got on board without any effort needed. Wow. Mass attracts mass. We'll have a look at that later. In the next stage of their history, um, what happens? Oh, who hits the fan, and as regards to Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, at least, the people who were left there get carried off into exile to a place called Babylon or Babylon or Babylonia, the sort of the area, right and Jeremiah comes along, and these guys basically have now left everything they knew for de- for generations they are leaving the city that they knew the families that they knew the language and culture that they knew they're being uprooted from that and they are being put into a foreign place called babylon and it's not they know it's not where they are really supposed to be although it is for a season some of us know the frustration of luminal space luminal space is the space in the doorway Okay, if you, what's the doorway called? An arch... Yeah, the um, Doorway. Um, <laughs> where you've left this room and you're not in here anymore. You're not in that room but you're not in that room yet. You're kind of in this no man's land of luminal space and it feels a little weird. Well, Israel were there for 70 years. Where they weren't where they were and they weren't where they knew they would one day be, but they were in Babylon. And that was 70 years. Now, that's not very long, over 1,500 years of history, but it certainly seems long if you're in that space, right? For 70 years. And God encourages them through a guy called Jeremiah in chapter 29, the same passage that says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Okay, that passage. And he says, listen, you're going to be here for a while. Don't fart around. Don't waste this time. It's in the Hebrew. Don't waste this time. And he says this. He says, in this space, I want you to put your roots down, plant gardens, build homes, raise your kids, and marry your sons and daughters. Even though you're not where you were, even though you're not where you possibly think maybe one day you should be, in here, don't just have a wobble. Put your roots down, because I know the plans I have for you. Some of us know what that stage of life is like. And some of us know what it's like in the last bit of Israel's history, before Jesus comes, in the days of Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and this is where the Old Testament history kind of ends, Okay, where they go, it is a time of restoration. It is a time of starting all over again. Some of us, we experience that from time to time. What we knew, what was, it's kind of like I'm starting again. And that can be a good point in time. That can be exciting. What's your, point, What's your point, Chad? Yeah, otherwise I'll just keep going. What's your point, preacher? When Israel look back over their history and they see all this story that you're going to read in the next few months, and they see all this story, the days that they long for the most are the days of David and Solomon. Moses was awesome. Joshua fantastic they, they were good old days let's let make no mistake but the prophetic promises are all about the return to the days the prosperity and the peace of the days of david and solomon because there is something magical about being in a season of momentum yeah. there's something magical about being in a season a legacy of consistency a legacy of forward moving motion that has built and built and built so that things just happen wonderfully and naturally, and you end up having so much fruit you can't contain it. And you think, What did I do to deserve this? No, you're just in a season of powerful momentum, and that is an enviable thing to have. Had friends over the other week, and they told me all the little things I do. do this? <laughs> Now I'm aware, I'm aware. (laughs) What's the point? That's another one of them. I've got to come up with some new things. I said all that to say I want to talk about momentum today and stir your curiosity in the history of Israel. We're going to learn about that a bit more this year. I want to talk about momentum today. I don't want to get too scientific or mathematical because I know that's going to switch some of you out. But I also want to switch the illustration a little bit. I want to move away from talking about plants and fruits and seeds. We've had quite a lot of that in the last year. Well done, babe. And I want to... I'm not going to throw seeds over people, okay? (laughs) I want to move away from the imagery of momentum created in plant life to momentum in sport life. I want to look at the motif in the scripture of an athlete. And so to do that, I'm going to turn to our key scripture of Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll kick on this... Are you well? Do we need it? Should I pray and like have a clean preacher's break so that you think that that was all free and it wasn't part of the preach? Yeah. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, because you have to read the 11 chapters to find out what that's there for. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which essentially are the people in Hebrews 11, basically, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Picture here is an endurance race, and whoever you believe wrote Hebrews is highly likely alluding to the Greek. Olympics. There is a city, an ancient city called Olympia and they had games in Olympia, the, the uh, whole Greek and then Roman Empire and they went for about 1100 years. Every four years for 1100, that's a heck of a lot of time. Australia, you know, colonialism at least is only 230 years. These games went for 1100. Okay, so this is a big part of history, 1100 years. They built a stadium in this uh, place called Olympia that seated 60,000 people. That's more than the Adelaide Oval. Back in, in 700-something BC. I mean, that is incredible. 60,000 people, they reckon. It doesn't exist today. 60,000 people fit into this stadium. And it was a big arena. Now, this is not the Coliseum. Okay, you know, when you watch Gladiator and you've got all the gladiators come out in the Colosseum and they're burning Christians and all that, okay, that is not the Colosseum, that's something different, that's in the middle of Rome, that's about 50,000 people they reckon could fit in there, but that wasn't built until after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in about 71 AD. So that's way down in, in, in history, all right, that lasted about two or 300 years before Rome uh, gave themselves up. But um, this Olympia was a 60,000-seater arena and they, it was built basically just for sport just for sport. It started with sprinting games where they'd run from one end to the other, a 200-meter race, and then that was it and everyone would go home. And they'd do that every four years. Awesome. And then, then someone thought, well, we'd better add some events. And so they had wrestling and, and uh, javelin and, and those type of things. So this is where the Olympics started. And one of the biggest races was a 24-lap race around the arena. works out to be about five kilometers. So some of us who are good runners, you could probably do that in Twenty-five-ish type of minutes, maybe. Okay, so that's a long, long, uh, long game. Okay, twenty-five minutes ru- running around, and that is what we reckon these they, these guys are alluding to when they say you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, sixty thousand people watching you, cheering you on, which are most likely your ancestors, Hebrew ancestors that have gone before you, the people in Hebrews 11, they're cheering you on from heaven, as it were, saying, go for it, go for it, go for it, you've got a race, run it with endurance, guys, keep going. Wow. And the other funny thing about these Olympics, I don't know if it was funny, probably was quite unpleasant, only men competed, and they competed naked. Now, you know watching sprinters come down that line is awkward enough already on TV, okay? These guys had... not Yeah, that's right. These guys had nothing on, which then is interesting with the verse there where it says, throw off everything. Throw off everything and the sin that easily entangles you. Listen, these guys came out and no matter what... Um, vocation they had. These weren't slaves. That was the Colosseum. Okay, that's later. These were civilians. These were Greek and Roman people. These were bakers and and butchers and candlestick makers. Okay, whatever. So these were real life people. They would take off all their clothes and they would come out with the identity of an athlete. That's who I am right now. I am nothing else. I'm fully committed to this task. So the Hebrew writer writes to the Christians and he says, you throw off everything. And you are fully committed to this task, running the race that is marked out before you with your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Because you've got an amphitheater of thousands of people watching you, cheering you on. Go for it. Yay, okay. Never mind. Well done, some of you. Come on, you can, you can do that. Okay, how about this? This is a very Greek picture, all right? It was written to people in the first century, they, they're sort of developing a Greek, very much developing Greek thought. But the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people. So I wonder whether the Hebrew writer is actually alluding to something else when he says, take off everything. I wonder if it's also a reference to the innocence of Adam. Because it doesn't say, throw off all the sins that entangle. It says, cast off the sin. Singular. The sin. The sin of the book of Hebrews, as you read that, is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of the fig leaf. Adam, one sin. I'll do this myself. Thank you very much. Okay? As opposed to surrender to the innocence of the grace of God. So possibly, with all this Greek imagery is using, there might also be little hints of Hebraic thought in there. I'd like to think that, and, uh, but we'll see how we go. I think that's enough talking about nude people. The point is, this imagery of a race, sport, momentum. Why are you saying this, Chad? Because of momentum, endurance, running. Those of us who are into sport understand the place, and those of us who run distances, you know... You get into that place where you're in the zone, you've built momentum, you're on the go, and you can persevere and push through walls because you've invested in the past and it's paying dividends at the right time. Paul uses this imagery quite a lot. He says to Timothy at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 6, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. Drink offering is a Hebrew term, talks about sacrifices, and then he goes into the Greek culture, and he says, I've fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith and now is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord will give me. That word their crown, is the same word for garland, what they would give the athlete who won the race. Not a crown like a king's crown, a crown like a wreath, okay? And it's a garland that they put on their head. He says in 1 Corinthians nine, twenty-four: do you not know that in a race all the runners run, But only one gets the prize, so run in such a way as to get that prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I have a purpose in the way that I'm running, because I'm running to win. Galatians 2 verse 2, he talks about checking the content of his message with the apostles in Jerusalem and he says, I wanted to be sure that I was not running my race in vain. I wanted to make sure that I was actually heading in the right direction because I can run but I want to make sure I'm running my race in the right direction. You can have momentum but what point of there is having momentum if you go on the wrong way? And so he says to the Galatians later in chapter 4, he says, you as a church were running a good race. And then somehow you allowed someone to cut in on you and distract you and put you off course. So this, this theme, this motif, uh, uh, Paul Paul's very strong on this in the New Testament Scriptures. What's the point? What does this have to do with momentum? Well, as we said before, momentum is quite possibly one of the greatest allies of any team. And whether it's true for you in your individual life, your financial life, it's true for you in your business... Some of you just know you've been at sweet spots in your business where you've had just the right staff, just the right jobs, things are just going... You you know what it's like to have momentum happening in your business and it's also true in this thing called the church because as much as Paul applied this allegory or this, this picture to himself as an individual, as we see there in the Galatians, he applies it to them as a corporate body, as a group of churches. He applies it to the church and he says, guys, you are all running this race together. So Hebrews doesn't say, let you run the race God's marked out for you. It says, let us. Let us (laughs) mark out the... I could have worse little things I could do. Huh? Yeah. (laughs) I could pick my fingers or something that would be far more distracting. Um, therefore since we are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses let us throw off let us race let us set our eyes forward this is the communal message of us running together in momentum and to not bore you with the physics of it essentially to have momentum you need two things you need mass and motion or movement you need mass and and motion in order to have momentum. I want to read another verse, Romans 15. This, we, we used this a bit in our series last year. Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past, everything in your chronological Bible reading plan this year, was written to teach us, so that through endurance, is that word again, and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So may the God who gives endurance and encouragement Give you a spirit of unity. Let me do a preacher thing right now. Come on, say, spirit of unity. All right, that's mass. Unity, mass. It's people coming together. What do you need for momentum? Mass and motion. He says, may you have a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. That's movement. Mass, spirit of unity, as you follow Christ Jesus, that is movement, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's meaning. That gives your mass and your movement meaning when it actually has a good purpose to fulfill. Momentum, good momentum, meaningful momentum, mass, movement, and meaning. And if that's what I want to leave to you today, then that's it. Because sometimes when God speaks prophetically, you don't really know exactly what to do with it. My best hope today is just to say, look, God's spoken something to us about enjoying a season of momentum. So Chad takes that home and thinks about it and says, well, we better understand something about what momentum is. So we can harness it. So we can maximize it. Well, here it is. It's mass. It's motion and meaning. And that is why a meaningful momentum comes in it starts with unity it starts with mass if we don't have mass then you don't have momentum if your family does not have unity then you're not going to have much momentum in your marriage or, or a sense of uh, of of uh, a sense of the sweet spot in your marriage we, we, we strive we want to see unity musicians in a band if they're not unified a whole bunch of noise Unity is absolutely important and the same is true with the church. Not a whole bunch of individuals just doing their own thing while we are a bunch of individuals that are unique. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But a bunch of individuals who come together with one heart and one purpose, there's a, there's a cohesive sense of togetherness where there is a mass amongst us. Unity is key. That's why sporting teams have... You know, a good football team doesn't work if they don't do anything together. You can't expect a good football team to just run out on the Oval on a Saturday and start having good momentum in a game. That's why they change together. That's why they train together. That's why a coach speaks to them together, gathers them together. That's why they go out drinking together or partying together or hang out together. There's this sense of unity, this mass that happens and that pays off dividends to build momentum in the team so that team works together. You know, in church life, what we do on a Sunday isn't the game. This two hours that we spend together on a Sunday isn't the, the big Christian thing. This is like the huddle, this is like the, the talk before we go out and start kicking butt, all right? This, this is like us with our deep heat and our stretches and, and smelly wet grass. <sighs> Come on, boys, some of you know what that's like. There's nothing like that smell. It's awesome. Testosterone, wet grass and deep heat. Oh, beautiful. Um, and that's what you're like here on a Sunday. <laughs> um, this is the huddle of listening to the coach, listening to the captain. It's like, okay, what are we doing? How do we get on the same page? How do we build momentum so that we can be effective in and on during the week. Part of the key of the success of the early church, despite all their issues, was that they had that allness factor. They started like that in Acts chapter 1. They were all together in one place. The Holy Spirit came and fell on all of them. They all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the broken bread, the fellowship and the prayer. They were all together in, 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 and, and all together in one heart and mind, were able to sell their possessions and good because they were as one. There was this great unifying factor. Surely the allness... The unity of that early church community was a key to the incredible momentum that they had as they spread the gospel in those early years. And I'm not sure what else really to say about that, except that every one of us has a part to play to either add to or take from the unity of a community that we're part of. So you've got a decision to make. (laughs) You've you got a, your workplace tomorrow, you work with a, a, a team of people, you're going to add to a sense of unity or take away from it, it's up to you. If you've got a church home, maybe this is your church home, maybe you're looking for a church home, you've got a decision to make, am I going to take away from the sense of unity here or am I going to get on board and join the Mass? That doesn't mean I lose my identity in the great big boulder, okay? But I joined the sense of one heart, one direction, one heartbeat of this place. We are unified together. That's what Romans says. May you have one heart as you follow Jesus. When I joined a church in my early 18 years of age, at 18, 18, 1997, joined a church in Adelaide. Rob Rufus was leading it at the time. And I sensed a church with incredible momentum, stuff was just happening almost like effortlessly. How did five people get saved today? No one even tried. How come these people are getting baptized and just coming out of the water comatose, like just under the power of God? How come there's such a celebration here and a friendliness and, a, and an exuberance? There's just, man, this is just so easy. And I realized, listen, I need to either be part of this momentum, but also I want to understand where this momentum comes from. And so back in those days, I used to go to the tape library. Remember what cassette tapes so it? And I would listen to the messages of that church from like 15 years previous because I wanted to find out how this church got to where it had gone. And that was one of the great ways for me to have knit my heart together to find out how that church has got to where it was going and where it was going. It was just a very practical thing for me to say, I'm going to be part of this forward-moving momentum and be a contributor to it. Maybe for you this year, it's the chronological Bible reading plan. What a great way for us to all get to use Aaron's line on the same page and to and to have that sense of listen week after week we're allowing God to speak to us with the same framework of the scriptures what kind of sense of unity of heart and mind could that help bring about in the life of our church the fact is that momentum is impossible without mass and when it comes to unity I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem Number two, motion. You need to be going somewhere to have momentum. One of the sad things about hoarding, and men tend to do it in bigger items than than women do. Was it Mark Connor the other week who said that, um, generally speaking, women shop more, but when men shop, they spend more money? Yeah. Yeah. So the same is true with hoarding. And every now and again, you'll come across a block of land or a or a piece of property and you'll just see someone who's got three boats and a caravan or two and a car or three. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular at all but there are places around where that happens and you think, you know, it doesn't matter how wonderfully constructed that boat is all those pieces have been put together. It's a mass of individual parts that have been wonderfully assembled. That unit has mass bigger the boat, the better, right? Bigger, bigger, bigger tractors, bigger cars. Bigger, it's mass. But if it's got no motion, it's just going to rust and rot. Useless. Mass and motion together in order to create momentum. The old saying goes, a moving boulder gathers no moss, which is like an equivalent of rust, isn't it? Moving boulder gathers no moss and a bit like your muscles, you know. They always say if you don't use it, you will lose it. You just need to keep moving. Research into dementia and uh, uh, other osteoporosis and other things. is just constantly saying you've got to use your muscles. Keep this thing active. Keep these things active. Keep using your muscles. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. You've got to keep moving. And I want to be a part of a church that does that. Unity's one thing, but you can all be on the same page and all have a nice little holy huddle that year after year after year just becomes a click. And it's the same people who know each other really well, they're all unified, and the thing that they're unified about is how much we just like being with us. No, no, I want unity and a sense of purpose of moving together, movement, unity with activity, mass and motion the psalms say that blessed are those who have set their heart on pilgrimage set their heart on unity oh yeah that's heaps important i'm a man of peace i love unity i i love peace i hate television shows where people are arguing i like walk out of the room mute it. i don't i don't need that i hate that i'm a I'm, i am like peace <laughs> uh, p- unity is very important but also blessed are those who set their hearts not only on unity, but set their hearts on a journey. Set their hearts on moving together somewhere meaningful. And this is where I just come full back to our key scriptures for today. Make you feel better? I'm closing my Bible. Come full circle to our key scriptures. Mass, motion, and meaningful direction. Let's go back to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Us. We have mass and we have running, we have motion. Now, where are we going? Next verse. Let us fix... Our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned at shame, sat down at the right hand of God, a majesty. Consider him who endured such opposition from evil men. Consider him. Where is our mind? Where is our thoughts? Where is our vision? What is the meaning of our moving together? It's to know Jesus. To consider him. And to see him. Mass, we're running together. At mass, we are together. Motion, we're on a race of endurance. What is the meaning? That we would reach him, that we would know him. What does Romans 15 say? The other key verse? It says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves. Mass. As you follow Jesus, so that movement, so that with one heart and one mind you may bring glory to the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. How do we bring glory to God? Chad, you're so predictable. All comes back to John 17, where Jesus says, Father, I've brought you glory on the earth by revealing you to those you've given me. How do we bring glory to God? We can't make the sun shine brighter, okay, but we can reflect that sun, point people in that direction. How do you bring glory to God? By revealing you to those you've given me. What is the meaning of our momentum? To show him to others. To know him and to show him. My friends, I'll leave you with a three point chatism to somehow bring some application to this. I want this, like any time I preach, to somehow minister to your head, your heart, and your hands. I want you to leave today knowing that God's spoken to us about momentum and in your head you understand something of what that is. Mass, unity, motion, going somewhere, doing something that's actually meaningful, bringing glory to God, knowing Jesus, showing Jesus. I want you to have that in your head. Don't have the picture of the new people in your head. Right, have that in your head. In your heart... I want you to make a decision today. And so I know this is important. Lord, Romans says, may there be a spirit of unity. That's a heart issue. I understand in my head, but a spirit of unity is a heart issue. Lord, in my heart, I say, I want to be part of that. In my heart, I say, Lord, I'm setting my heart on pilgrimage. Psalm 84. Because in my heart, I want to know you and I want to bring you glory. So respond with your heart today. Hands. there's something practical that you can do to add to the sense of unity of this house or your business where you're employed your sporting club your family your relationships okay there's something practical that you can do to add to unity there is something practical you can do to get involved commit to that be part of that get along to that something practical you can do i encourage you to be open to god to speak to you about what you can practically do today does that make sense head heart and hands over to you this has been a podcast from bayside church international thanks for listening